Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 18 Tavish, the Cleric of Ear. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests, the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Joseph Picard's table at the Levitating Platter. <laughs> So this is a unexpected surprise for me to be graced with some podcast royalty, as it were. I wouldn't go that far. You? Oh, you wouldn't? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I'm super stoked to be able to have the chance to interview you. If you'd like to share with the audience a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. Well, I'm Joseph Picard, and I guess I... My main podcast thing lately is that I've been a minor character in the, the F-Chad Fallout... Uh, what's the official... Chad of Fallout 76 yeah, yeah, yeah. podcast. Uh, originally, it's not a secret, but uh, for the G-rated people, it, yeah, it's Chad. It started with a, uh, a series of posts and just Kenny doing random things about this dork named Chad playing Fallout 76, and it blossomed into nonsense that went all the way to, to Bethesda at their show the other day, other day a couple weeks ago. Right. Yeah, that was super cool. So yeah, I reached out to Ken and asked if he would like to be a guest. And that is in the works. We haven't got that interview yet. But Ken decided, hey, you know, uh, some of the other cast members like D&D and decided to share the wealth. And you were one of the first respondents. So I'm, I'm super happy you get to be on Sidekicks and Sidequests. Awesome, awesome. Awesome. So along with the podcast that you're working on, am I to understand that you're also a independent author as well? Yep. I, uh, I have two series out there. One is based on near future and there's zombies and lesbians and nanotechnology. And I, I always have a hard time explaining all that and how it all came <laughs> together. It's kind of, it would take a show on its own, but uh, right. it's, yeah, I have to do it. They, I started with the art and somebody said, hey, that character looks like a lesbian. I asked him, well, why? Oh, it just does. And uh, fine. Okay. Well, what about this other art character? Nope. Well, why not? Oh, no, it's just not. So I was writing these, drawing these characters over and over again. And I started to do, do longer and longer descriptions, turned into a short story. And the fact that one of them was a lesbian, for some reason, stuck in the back of my head. And it became a part of the story that the lesbian fell in love with a straight girl. And that gets turns into comedy and drama. And it's... Made it's it's found a different audience than I would have expected. I guess yeah, I should have expected really, but mm -hmm. yeah, there's zombies and sci-fi, and that went on for three books or so. And I moved on to this Rubberman's Cage was the first in the second series, and it's based on a 40-story deep bomb shelter, which 
wasn't I didn't have Fallout in mind, but there are some similarities. <laughs> that, it is a bomb shelter, right? There's, uh, there's radiation concerns. There's uh, there's no super mutants, uh, things like that. So it's it's not mm-hmm. the same world at all. But on a, for better or for worse, there are a few parallels. Sure. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, zombies, shopping malls, you know, they're all common tropes and themes. So we know them and we love them, right? Yeah. You got to play on that a little bit, but also like I always say with my first series, there's zombies, but if you're a zombie book person, you'll be disappointed because I don't, I don't really dwell on the gore or anything like that. It's gore is going to happen. You can't eat people with a little bit of blood, but it's more about the tactics and the character driven side of things. And for lack of a better word, there's some drama involved and it's, goofiness awesome anything else you wanted to share about yourself or are we ready to nerd out about some dungeons and dragons i can go on about the books forever but yeah let's let's just go forward because i could just go on and never shut up <laughs> all right so do you currently or have you ever played dungeons and dragons yeah i'm in between campaigns right now but yeah quite a bit in the last year or so and before that after like a couple decades of not playing that much, I played second edition and the Ravenloft stuff was what I played a lot then. Oh, wow. So like OG Ravenloft? Yeah. Yeah. I never played it as a campaign. It was more of the game world that we happened to fall into all the time. Oh, OK. That was my first exposure to D&D. And my DM says, hey, we're uh, you come out of the end and there's fog around you. Oh, really? Well, let's keep going. Yeah, there's a lot of fog. Well, okay. Hey, you see a village ahead. Didn't we just leave a village? Yeah, this one's different. Well, why is that? Let's go back to the other village. Okay, try that. And the Ray Ravenlock <laughs> works. Yeah, that doesn't work. So we had to we had to deal with the way things were now. And that was as far as I knew for, well, I shouldn't say if it's as far as I knew, but my entire experience for D&D for a couple of years was just Ravenlock related things. Okay. And so you found jumping in now to 5th edition, it's a welcome change? Yeah. But I didn't play D&D too long in the past because I ran home, a naive little 15-year-old boy, and I told my dad all about it. And all he knew about D&D was what Tom Hanks told him. And oh, Mazes and Monsters? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was banned <laughs> on the spot. And oh, wow. so I made my own homebrew game, and I only had access to D6s. So my D&D experience at that point was very low. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty simple. It was based on D&D and on Final Fantasy 2, it ran on D6s, and I called it the IRS, the Idiot Role-Playing System, because I had no idea what I was doing. That's part of being a kid and being resourceful, right? Well, that system went on for 10 years, and at its peak, I was running it on a Bolton board system, a dial-up Bolton board, and I had a dozen players represented on a map on the wall, like some kind of murderer, and (laughs) they were represented by pins in the map, and each one of these players had their own party, and they'd call in and do their turn, and I'd give them their update and every day they'd call in and these pins I'd try to steer them away from each other. Oh yeah. Well you, you see a mountain over there, but uh, Oh oh no. Uh, beyond inertia is over there. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's something interesting down south and you're going, okay, now I have to have these characters interact without letting them know that they've actually run into a playing character. Oh wow. That got sticky for a while, but that campaign went for about a year. Wow, that sounds pretty cool, pretty ingenious that you were able to devise something. The first question here for sidekicks and side quests, do you have a favorite NPC from an RPG, video game, film, or whatever? And uh, why are they your favorite NPC sidekick? That's really tricky because I uh, I also kind of, I'm thinking of video games as well. There's so many out there. I've been playing for so long. Right now I've been paying attention to Game Grumps and they've been playing one of my favorite video games is Chrono Trigger. I can't think of NPCs I particularly like. It's the the player characters that are engaging enough because, well, I mean, when you're one player and you've got the other computer-controlled story that's 
the player characters are kind of NPCs anyway, so it's kind of, where do you draw that line? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I don't know, maybe if we get a little inspiration from maybe Fallout 76, because I know we're obviously both aficionados of that, since you're involved in a podcast with it, and at the time of this recording, there are only still robot NPCs in Fallout 76 before the Wastelanders update comes out. Maybe perhaps there's a favorite NPC character from Fallout 76 prior to the Scorch Plague, or maybe one of the robots, or... I don't know, maybe even your podcast, technically, that you do is full of NPCs as well. You mentioned the robot NPCs. Generally, they got no person. They got, that's good English. I'm a writer, I'm a lot of mutilate English. But um, <laughs> I, I think of that stupid Rosie robot. I hate her guts, but she's got a lot of personality. That's true. Yeah. If I remember reading the Fallout wiki is that she was programmed with the gang leader's girlfriend in mind. The girlfriend that you can find in the courthouse in Charleston. Okay. Uh, I uh, I didn't I knew she was programmed by Raiders. I didn't know there was a link to the Raider boss's girlfriend. Yeah, Rosie's Rosie's pretty cool. Graham. You got a oh, Graham. Graham. Oh, I love Graham. He's so fun. My uh my camp is in Charleston and I'm one of those guys that is camped across from the station which people hate cuz it used to block off certain random encounters from spawning. It doesn't anymore, but Oh, uh, okay. People give me flack for camping there, but uh, mm. it's also on Graham's route. So he comes by and like, oh, hi, Graham. How you doing? Um, what do you got for me today? Type of thing. And it's uh, I've bought everything I need from him, but it's kind of neat that one of the rare traders is. Uh, I know. Yeah, I love I love Graham. And then, of course, his is uh, Charlie the Moo Moo. And then uh, his big event, the Meat Week, uh, is always fun to do as well. So you, you, you think Graham or Rosie might be a toss-up for a favorite NPC at this point? I might have to go with Graham because he's a good guy, and uh, I yeah. really play pretty white hat, so... Me yeah. too. Go Graham. Good Graham. All right, so th- there we go. Solid choice. At this point, the second Super Mutant mentioned as a favorite NPC. My previous guest, Michael, said that his favorite NPC was Fox from uh, Fallout 3, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. Keeping the trend going, so... Now for the side quest part of the podcast, do you happen to have a favorite side quest from a RPG game, movie, film, etc.? And why is it your favorite side quest? The one that popped to mind to me was, again, my mind's been on Chrono Trigger lately. Spoilers for a 30-year-old game. Your robot companion that you get eventually, if you play your cards right, you run into a side quest where you have the option of leaving a robo at a, what would you call it? It's... A, it's not a cabin exactly, but it, there's this lady who's trying to save the forest in the area and she's losing. You find out through time travel that she dies in the forest, just gets wiped out and Robo offers to stay there and do the work. You leave him there and it kind of feels like you're just plain losing him. And then you remember, oh yeah, time travel. So you go through time travel and you can see him working the fields, this little icon on the map and you just, hey Robo, how you doing? You go far enough in the future and you go to this cabin, and there he is, and he's wrecked, and there's a shrine built around him. Oh no, Robo! Well, that's sad and sweet. And then your little fix-it buddy, she pops up and says, hey, we can fix him. And it turns into another side story of her character arc, which is it's kind of a separate thing on its own, but not really. In the end, you get Robo back, and Robo is fine, and he's saved the area, and he's refurbished this forest, and it's a, a great field good moments and you get your robo back and yay wow that that does sound pretty cool i haven't 
myself actually played Chrono Trigger, but I know it's a very popular game. That's a pretty cool little side quest. The trick is, as soon as you realize that you're a time traveler, uh, which you can get him back in like 10 seconds, because you can go 10,000 years in the future and he's done. And the investment, there he is. There you go. That's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. So now that we've uh, had a chance to learn a little bit more about Mr. Picard, I think it's time that we delve into some NPC creation. All righty. So my guest has decided to bring a character to the table and share with us. What is the name of the character? His name's Tavish. Tavish. I didn't really think about how cliche it is to have Scottish accented dwarves, but apparently it is, and he is. So he's he ticks off a lot of the cliche boxes. He's and gruffish. any gruffish, okay. Uh, any preference on that ancestry, whether it's mountain or hill dwarf or something else? Uh, he's been hill, and he comes from a little town called Ironstone. Guess what they do there? They get they... iron out of the stone. <laughs> oh, there you go. Clever. Well, you can thank my DM for that. Oh, okay. Because it's her world that she created from scratch. It's Viridia is the name of it. Oh, and cool. She has her own rules in it. It's like dragons aren't intelligent. They're animal intelligence. And oh. you have to deal them with accordingly. Interesting. So one of the places in her world is a sanctuary because they're hunted. And the campaign started with us being hired to bring a box to the mob, basically. And it's revealed, of course, that this box is carrying a dragon egg while we're delivering that we find out that lady hiring us is also wanting to get close to this mop to it's part of a deal to get her daughter back and we end up going against the mob of course what is the job or role that tavish has in society he's a cleric and he picked up healing from his aunt and his faith in the god that they both worship is ear e-i-r okay and when i started playing it's when I was putting together the character, I wanted him to have kind of a backwater little god because I wanted it to have it to be kind of a humble little, eh, not quite a redneck, but the old man you see at the other end of the town that he, when you need healing and he comes down to the mine type of thing. And the DM took this and built ear into the game world quite a bit and made it a fairly major religion, which made my backwaterness for this character a little diminished in that way. But at the same time, it gave him credibility when, in big, when we went to big towns. So how old is Tavish then? Oh, it varies depending on my memory. Um, <laughs> I think he's about 630 odd. In the initial responses that you gave uh, for the questionnaire, I think you in here you said 350, but now it's jumping up to the 600s, I suppose. I can't do the math anymore. He's In human years, he'd be roughly 60. Oh, okay. So 350 in Dwarven then, I suppose. I guess. The next question here is describe the physical appearance of Tavish start with the standard typical stereotype he's a kind of portly mm-hmm. he's got a beard that he usually braids into three braids but it's other people have braided for him and done it wrong it always ends up at three at the end of the day he's been described as having a snowy beard the mob put out a hit on him in this in the party but he oh. was described the mob was kind of sort of legitimate in one town so it was kind of sticky but his beard was described <laughs> as snowy and that pissed him off because it's not snowy it's peppered but there's a lot of salt in that pepper so right (laughs) he's a chrome tone chrome dome on the top and he's got his triple beard going on and he's usually sport he at one point he spent money on himself which he rarely does and he ended Mm -hmm. up with a chainmail top and a very shiny necklace that he wears underneath because it's not humble enough but it's got various healing ability 
But on top of that, he has a simple kind of white robe with a hills and mountain, uh, hills and trees that is both towards ear and his hometown. Mm-hmm. And he carries around a regular shield and a warhammer, which is his holy symbol, whether you like it or not. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> I think last thing here in the note was, and a pocket that never seems to run out of spoons. Oh, spoons, yes. And uh, <laughs> it was fairly late in the campaign when the DM said, spoons, I get it. You give away spoons because, you know, you know the rule about the spoons and the about I'm people. Not, I'm not sure. Uh, is it the one where everyone's sitting around a, a, a pot of stew and then everyone no, no, can't no, no. reach it? It's um, so, uh, a lady with, uh, I forget what, it was ALS or some, some various disease where you don't have a lot of energy in the day. And she was explaining to her friend that, as the story goes, she went around the restaurant and picked all the spoons off the tables, which, that's kind of destructive. You can make a point without stealing f***ing up the entire restaurant. But, mm-hmm. and you start with so many spoons. And, okay, when you wake up and you get dressed, that takes a spoon. You take a shower, it takes another spoon. You make yourself breakfast, that takes a spoon. You go and shop, and that's going to take three spoons. And she explained this all, and all these spoons taking your energy during the day. Tavish likes to give away spoons to people he likes, and is a healer. So not only is he giving people their hit points back, but he's refilling their spoons, literally. Oh, so, oh there you go. But he has a thing about spoons in story-wise that his mother saved many people in the mines from a cave-in because most of them were pinned down, and they couldn't swing a pickaxe to get themselves loose. But she had a spoon on her, and she dug enough rock away that she could get her arm loose and start to actually work on actually digging everybody out. So oh, wow. this spoon is credited, and his mother, being credited to for saving, whatever, a couple dozen people. And the mm-hmm. spoon was held in high enough regard that it is on display in the chief's hall, framed and everything. And Tavish carries around a bunch of spare spoons, and whenever he meets somebody he likes, he'll give them a spoon and tell them the story that... Keep a spoon with you, it'll save your life. And uh, it does nothing for them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have to buy new spoons, and sometimes he'll be at a restaurant and say, Hey, mind if I keep this spoon? And he'll pocket that. And he's got a, it's just, you go into this pouch he's carrying all the time. You might think it's a coin purse, but no, it's just full of spoons. And when you need a spoon to give away, mm-hmm. there you go. And he's awesome. Got a, lot of, a lot of moments I with like, spoons. <laughs> I, I really like that story. So thank you for sharing that. And that's such a great lesson. The three adjectives that describe Tavish best, what do you think they would be? Kindness, compassion. Compassion is a big word for him. And klutzy. Not oh, yeah. Klut- not so klutzy exactly, but kind of bumbling. Okay, he's bumbling. A, he's the type you'll see wandering around in the kitchen and, you know, making himself something, leaving a little bit of a mess and goofing around, leaving footsteps where they shouldn't be and... Yeah, not graceful. I mean, he's a dwarf. It only gets so glamorous. <laughs> right. I'm thinking of the opening scene from The Hobbit, Unexpected Journey, when they're all messing with Bilbo's plates and pots and pans. Maybe not that bad. You know what? There is only one of him. So maybe if you add, you know, a dozen more, maybe there would be something like that. <laughs> there you go. What is a valuable item, a piece of lore, a secret, or some abstract ideal or concept he's very attached to his god that he has ear and mm-hmm. when he casts spells especially if they're ones that are ritual based instead of random magic words he just talks to ear and will tell ear why he needs help and why these people need healing and why they're good and thank you for all this and blah 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 and he'll just have a discussion with his god as the spells being cast instead of just doing random prayer and it's it was kind of an interesting thing. Another character wanted to say, oh, well, I'm I'm a cleric too, and we should uh, do our prayers, our morning prayers together. And Tavish, well, 
all right. So she starts her prayers and her chanting, and Tavish just starts having a chat with his god, and it's it was destructive to the formal chants. So he's um, he's been called casual, that he gets ah. things done, but he's he's not into the primitive circumstance and that sort of thing. So a very strong personal relationship with his deity, then. Yeah, I guess that's how I put it. Okay. And well, when that's... he casts spells like mm. uh, divine, what's it called? Divine weapon, is it called? Their spiritual weapon. That's the one. Okay. Um, he is entirely convinced that when that shows up, Ear herself is there, invisible, wielding this weapon. Oh, that's cool. That's a nice little bit of flavor. And he'll talk to he'll talk to this floating weapon as if it is her. Had the story a couple times where he told other people that sometimes he just cast it to try to feel her hand, and it never quite worked out. And what's Another spell, the uh, Sentinel Guardian. I'm not a cleric player character myself, so I don't have all the spells memorized, contrary to what people think DMs do or do not have memorized. But yeah, that sounds uh, Guardian of Shield of Faith or something like that. Well, it comes down, it's described somewhat masculine-ish, where it would be basically a light form that would come down with a sword and shield and Mm -hmm. maintain that spot. And anybody that gets, gets close as an enemy will get attacked in that turn, which... Basically, Tavish uses it like fireball, except it doesn't go anywhere and it stands there for like half of the fight. He doesn't think this is ear, but he does think that they've been sent down from Valhalla from ear. Okay. There because you go. Because cast more than one of them. So it's obviously not her because she's singular. And he right. Just put, he's casting them, but he tells himself that ear has thrown them down there. So he's got a bit of disassociation of what he's doing and what ear's doing. Okay. Let's... That's super interesting. What is a particular quest that Tavish would be willing to recruit or hire player characters to go on? Anything that really helps anyone. He's big on healing specifically. If it's a good guy quest, he's there. He's on it. He does work with people who are not so... Like, his party is full of thieves and mob people, and he realizes there's different layers of the mob, and he'll work with the nicer ones if it means the worse ones that are slavers and whatnot. Yeah, he, he'll work with quote-unquote bad guys, only if they're not too bad, but he won't necessarily like it, and he'll give little snide comments about it now and then. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you envision the NPC version of Tavish then not being necessarily stationary to like a temple, but like you you treat or would view the NPC version of Tavish as kind of like a hireling or like someone who hangs out in the pub? Well, his major hangouts are not the pub. He, he's not a stranger to a pub, but it's not his go-to in general. Orphanages, he hangs out around a lot and heals and does what he can in those. Uh, and dumps, okay. dumps most of his money there. He has, he doesn't solely own this boat, but it's it's his his best friend maybe now. But it's he's got a basically a talking boat that he hangs out on a lot and he's teaching this boat how to cast spells. And he, at huh. last check, he is, this boat is very enthusiastic to become a cleric itself and he's got it up to be able to cast light and that's a big step forward <laughs> and uh, they okay. have philosophical discussions which is difficult because the boat has the mental capacity of an eight-year-old interesting okay so i'm maybe envisioning the npc version of tavish maybe a caretaker at an orphanage it's next to maybe a lake and you know tavish has this boat that he's slowly teaching how to you know cast light and uh, maybe to navigate around the lake to give the orphanage uh, a little bit of respite and a little bit of fun so the kids can go out on the lake and stuff so do you think maybe that seems more in line and so then a quest then that 
NPC Tavish could give would be like, oh, hey, if you could help around the orphanage, that would really mean a lot to me and stuff like that. Yeah, very much. Or um, even a favor for Beauty, because uh, if he is at a lake, he's he's kind of an ocean-faring boat, but oh, I could okay. imagine him being landlocked in a lake. <laughs> yeah, can we... Uh, there's an ocean, like, maybe a mile that way. Um, can we get to it? Can, can we... <laughs> <laughs> that would be a fun side quest. You have to transport this boat from a lake into the ocean. That would be fun. Like, oh, Tavish is like, oh, this poor boat is just wallowing in this lake. I mean, he likes, the boat likes driving all the kids around, but the boat really wants to get to the ocean. So can you help me uh, move the boat? That would be fun side quest. Well, that could be. Okay. Uh, Beauty, when we found Beauty, he had been belonging to a mob boss, a, a middle-grade mob boss, and we didn't meet the mob boss. We did meet the guy who killed that mob boss. But we found out Beauty, um, he's he drinks blood. If, if you, oh, if goodness. You spill, if you spill blood on his deck, he will he will absorb it and like it. And it, same if you, spill, if you spill wine or other bodily fluids, he can absorb that. He has his opinions on which are better. But um, mm-hmm. we had to teach him how some of them are not appropriate for an eight-year-old. And um, right, Beauty's been a lot of fun. And we found in his stores little secret panels where there were stashes of gems and drugs. Beauty came pretty loaded when we first found him. Uh, players came across Beauty in general. He's a quest on his own. <laughs> he, he sounds like he's definitely a handful. All right, so then whether we're deciding it's just a simple, hey, help help do things around the orphanage or you know this magical intelligent boat is sad that it's in a lake and needs to get to an ocean whichever route a dm would decide to use what would be the reward well anybody who has a good deed form is bound to get a spoon out of it but okay <laughs> um beyond that tavish knows about gold and he's not quick to give it up because gold is also useful for orphans so mm-hmm. he's not going to give away super freely. He realizes that he'll he'll pay and give rewards of gold because anybody can use gold. So. Mm-hmm. Probably also be more willing to offer up some healing if the players are in need of someone to help them out or raise someone from the dead, I suppose, if they got their life tragically cut short. Tavis is pretty free with the healing. That's part of his philosophy. If you're not a total jerk to him um, and he happens to have spell charges left, He'll heal you, no problem. Uh, you could, you don't have to do favors for him to get healing from him. You just have to have the need and not be a jerk, basically. Did you want to cover any of the optional questions, which I know you were very thorough and you did go through those, but do you want to cover those as well, or do you feel like we've fully fleshed out the NPC version of Tavish? Oh, I've got time. We can go through it if you want. Oh, sure. Okay. So what are the goals and motivations then for Tavish? Largely, it's been saving orphans lately. He hasn't forgotten his old town. They're getting along without him. The recent campaign he went through was to overthrow a major slavery ring. So any sniff of that sort of thing, he'll get off his butt and go try to figure out how to disassemble it. How do these goals and motivations affect Tavish's personality? Those are the events where he'll get, you'll see his dark side. It's not that dark really because he's Tavish and he's, his dark side's, you know, off gray. He'll, he'll start whipping around the more offensive spells and have fun doing it. He's not much of a plotter. He'll go in, make a speech as he's doing so. He gives servants mid battle because he's a cleric. He's going to do that. One of my favorite scenes from him was he was doing, I forget the name of the spell. See, you can heal like whatever, eight characters for such and such in one turn. This was being played in text messages. So I did like two paragraphs of him ranting about 
to one of the guys, he just been called a coward for using magic, his uh, summoned weapons to attack. <laughs> that he, if come on, hit me yourself. I would hit you myself, but I'm busy healing because you, I have, I take responsibilities and I heal people because that's what I gotta do. I take responsibility, and if I, if it wasn't for dorks like you hurting my friends, I'd be smacking up the head, no problem. And this went on and on, and this is how he casts his spells. In the middle of it, he turns into a sermon, basically, kind of trying to guilt trip the enemy as he's doing his healing. Oh, and, interesting uh, tactic. <laughs> <laughs> I should put some levels of bard on him because I'm. You'd probably get a lot of mileage out of that. There you go. And so then, uh, as you've hinted throughout, his accent then is, and his idiosyncrasies very much lie in sort of a Scottish base then, and classical dwarvish cultures as we've been brought up with. That, and, uh, well, in the world of Rydia, I've been told that he's a, I think it's Creux, but uh, yeah, it's Scottish. It's Scottish in, in Viridian versions. His religion is Norse-based, and he recognizes Odin and Freya and all that. When I was looking up what god he should worship, I, I googled for Norse god of healing and Ear popped up and I'd never heard of that one. So I figured, oh, that's kind of backwater. But it turns out that Ear may or may not be a pseudonym for Freya anyway. He uh, kind of sort of accidentally is worshiping an offshoot. So uh, he also recognizes Odin and he's other people in his religion, like the um, the paladins might be more lean towards Odin because that's the more masculine, gung-ho, bravado type of thing. He gets along with them. They're they're fine fellows, I'm sure, yet. Um, but eh, they can kind of piss off. But uh, that's fine. You're good boys. Go away. Get out of my way. <laughs> You've talked about it before, but just to make sure we don't forget the impact that Tavish has made on the world. How much of an impact has that been, and how has Tavish shaped the local area where we would find him? He was a pretty big part of uh, driving away the slavers in a couple cities. He's uh, converted a boat to become a cleric. Um, <laughs> he, uh, one of the uh, NPCs that became part of our party, he was a basically he was a drug addict. And Tavish went to great efforts to more or less cure him. And mm -hmm. thanks to his wisdom rolls, he detected that this was going on in the first place. But that was a big deal. What else has Tavish done? He uh, made a lady friend in a bar once who he didn't sleep with. Well, he did sleep with her, but they didn't have sex. But because that's not really his thing. He keeps getting letters from her and she's basically gone to work at the orphanage. She still works lady work, the, uh, the night walker work. But she's also working the orphanage, and she is now an ear faithful. So she's made conversions like that. And uh, he doesn't go around trying oh. to convert people, but the fact that he speaks so passionately about his own goddess and does these great works that people kind of pick up on that. Right. So to model the behavior and to show that to people, and then they in turn are inspired and, and follow Tavish's example then to change their lives for the better. One of his big scenes in the campaign was um, he went to the... The Holy District, I think the DM was calling it, and he just tried to rally as many of the local clerics and all religions in earshot and made this big rousing speech about how these slavers who have their fingers in the government and blah, 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 blah. That was his big glory moment, I suppose you could say. Although his, technically you could say his glory moment was driving his hammer up the wazoo of the big bad guy who was, that was how this bad guy died. He Tavish got the final blow, although it was like four hit points maybe worth of damage. But the bad guy also happened to be wedged in the mouth of a dinosaur at the time. So that might have been a, yeah. 
There you go. You, you had you had some help on that one, right? Yeah, like the other players, we had like assassins and warlocks and stuff doing their thing, handing out these huge damage. And I'm impressed with some of the damage that Davish was getting. And I look at the numbers, and that's really not that great. But <laughs> for Davish, for Tavish, it was some really impressive things. I do this big roll, ah ha ha ha. Look, I did 23 damage. Ha ha! Look at that. That's that's cute, Tav. Sit down. <laughs> And then finally, to round this off, are there any current problems that prevent Tavish from being a bigger player on the stage? The campaign ended on a uh, fairly peaceful note. There are some threads that the DM has laid for the future. There are bigger bads out there. Right now, Tavish is focusing on the orphanages. There's two that he's kind of got under his wing. Mm. And um, talking to the boat. All right. Well, I think we've learned quite a bit about the cleric Tavish, and I think it's time to head into a random encounter. So then this is the part of the show where basically we just get to have a short little role play scenarios. Obviously, since Tavish was your player character, now it's like we're going to step into your world and, and get to see Tavish come to life. So I can use my adventurer character to set up the scene. And then I happen to come across Tavish and maybe Tavish is offering up one of these side quests. Sounds good. So as we're setting the scene, our intrepid adventurer of the podcast, Duncan, has now completed his last adventure with a shiny new a clockwork a pocket watch contraption now that he's looking at and he's looking at the sun and admiring it and he snaps it closed. As he looks out on the next town that he's come across and he, you know, his coin purse is jingling a little bit. And as he's walking down the road, he happens to come across this interesting scene of a orphanage next to a lakeside. And he sees this boat that seems to be piloting itself randomly in a lake. And he sees this this portly, pepper-bearded dwarf standing on a dock. And Duncan decides to approach the dock. Uh, excuse me, good sir, is... Is, is that boat all right over there? Is, th- is there something I could do to help out? Oh, he's doing pretty good. Uh, I beauty, how you feeling? And the boat, if you can waddle on water, the boat kind of waddles towards the shore and uh, says nothing, but uh, Tavish nods and nods and that uh, It's good, it's good, all right? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. All right, I don't know. Okay, good. Right then, he's fine. An intelligent boat? Intelligent is kind of a loose term, but yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's a quite bright lad, he is. Ah, okay, that's... I'm sorry, I'm completely... I, I'm so rude, I, I apologize, uh, good Sir Dwarf. My name is Duncan, how might I make your acquaintance? Uh, my name's Tavish, this here's Beauty, full name Beauty McBeautface, and uh, I'm the cleric around here, and I uh, I try to help out at the orphanage over there, and uh, that's what goes on around here. Oh, very nice. Well, uh, I happen to have been fresh off an adventure. I'm looking to uh, relax in the town a little bit. And maybe instead of killing some monsters, uh, maybe I might relax a little bit. Is there uh, is there anything that you require assistance with? Well, not you mentioned it. How far you think? He looks towards the boat and the boat kind of shimmies. Rocks to one side, rocks to the other side. Oh, no, but how far? Right, 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 right. Okay, Tavis walks over to the orphanage and picks up a shovel nearby. And bring, mm-hmm. comes over back to you and gives you a shovel. How good are you digging? Duncan kind of examines his arms. He feels like they're pretty good muscles. And he, ah, I think I'm pretty good at digging. Well, two miles west of here, 
is the ocean. Might have seen it. It's rather big. Y yes, yes. If we could dig a path, eh, maybe five feet deep, and maybe about, and he looks over at Beauty and kind of, oh, 15 feet wide? A trench of five by 15 from the ocean to here? That will be spiffy. Duncan kind of looks flabbergasted. Two miles? Well, roughly, I, I haven't measured it. I don't have the tools for that, but I don't know. About two miles, right? Beauty bounces. And then uh, Duncan kind of scratches his head and says, so you want to get this beauty to the ocean? The boat bounces back and forth like it's smiling and dancing, splashing all the while. Interesting. Well, Duncan's looking at the shovel and he's like, if I can find a better, more efficient way to do this, then I think I might be the man to do the job for you. Well, that sounds good. Anyway, you can do it. I mean... Just getting him to the ocean would be fine, I guess. But if we could have open access and I could get the orphans on the boat and out to sea and back and forth, that would be ideal. Hmm. I might have to call in some favors, but I'll see what I can do. Well, there's already a good shovel here, just so you know. But do do and scene. All right. <laughs> that was a good setup for that scene because you were just like, here's a shovel, two miles, dig. So that hopefully would be a good scenario where you could have maybe druids and, and other kinds of players who are really good at moving the earth around. Oh, yeah, I had a parody member who loved to move dirt quite often and got rid of many, many bodies that way. He did great things with move dirt. Yeah, that would be the perfect solution for that situation, I think. <laughs> right, right, unless we hire a bunch of people to just start digging. Um, There's that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So as we are here in our final thoughts section of the show, I just wanted to turn to you, my guest, and just ask you, what did you think of this experience? It was a ton of fun. Talk about my favorite character lately, having a chance to get him to stretch his legs a little bit. Lots of fun. Yeah. My hope with this show is that not only are we learning about other people who love the hobby, who are interested in the hobby, or are just interesting people, but that we get to leave a little character as well and have that character have the opportunity to explore many different games in many different worlds. So my hope is that Tavish and Beauty will find themselves in a number of campaigns and that on our social medias or Reddits or wherever, we're going to hear all sorts of crazy stories of how players are trying to figure out a way to get a magic boat to be able to go back and forth between a lake and the ocean. So before we close with the show, I just wanted to give you, my guest, the opportunity to plug any particular projects or things that you like and to share them with the audience. Well, I should give a little nod to Chad, of course, but we all know about that already. I probably should plug my own website, which has my books and information on it and links and all that. Uh, Ozero.ca. Okay. O -O -R -O. Or if you if you speak American O Z E R O dot C A. Right, yes, because I'm here in Texas myself. So yeah, I think you're my first international guest on this show, so congratulations. I'm exotic. Uh, yep, you are. That is very true. All right. Well, I want to just thank you so much for uh jumping at the opportunity to be a part of this show. I do love Chad, and I'm just so happy that you guys got the recognition from the Fallout 76 community and the Bethesda yeah, uh, community as is. well. I, I can't wait for the second season. Awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and SideQuests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Overcast, or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, 
https colon forward slash forward slash sidekicksandsidequests.com for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the podcast. To stay up to date and share your fan creations, you can like and follow the podcast on social media by searching for at Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. The podcast is also on Reddit, so join our subreddit community at r slash Podcast to share your art, stories, discussions, and commentary. If you'd like to hail the bard, send an email to sidekicksandsidequests, all one word, at gmail.com. I ask that you please leave an honest review on iTunes to help spread the word about the show. Sidekicks and Sidequests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four! Oh! Psychics, psychics!